Katie. Welcome to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about stuff from history you may or may not have heard of. And today I'm doing a person as well, uh, back, back to, to the original format. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm too bad melting. It's just too humid for my liking and my dehumidifier. I don't think it's working because I've had it on all day today and all day yesterday and there doesn't seem to be any more water in it. So that's disappointing. The rain is, is is nice for the garden, but it's not so nice for <laughs> everything else. Though I am actually kind of glad that the heat has like died down a little bit yeah. because it was stonkingly hot. It was yeah, it was Australia heat, which is just <laughs> too hot for anyone's liking. Yeah, us in the UK can't handle that. What have you been up to? Anything to report? I have been. What have I been doing? Mainly just working. Mm. I wish I had something to report. What did I do last weekend? <laughs> I went and ate Japanese food at cool. Tonkotsu. I had Tonkotsu at Tonkotsu, and it's nice. amazing. <laughs> it is the greatest of Japanese dishes. Excellent stuff. So basically, just kind of like translates into pig bone. So it's like pig bone Ooh. noodles. Doesn't sound very me friendly. No. All you vegetarian types. <laughs> I went to the V&A yesterday with my cousin and we saw the Alice in Wonderland exhibition, which I believe is either sold out or very, very close to being sold out. So if you can get a ticket, I would 100% say everybody should go. It was excellent, especially if you like Alice in Wonderland. Cool. It was really cool. Lots of cool art, lots of cool Alice stuff. They even mentioned American McGee's Alice, the video yeah. game, which is like the best video game ever. <laughs> yeah, we enjoyed it. Very nice. All immersive, is it? And Yeah, they had a VR bit, but we were too late for the VR bit because uh, mm. they closed it. Half so there's, there's a hot tip. If you, um, if you are going, get there like before, I would say like four o'clock because they closed the VR at like five, five thirty. I love VR. It's so disorientating at first. Yeah. Just fall over all over the place. <laughs> That'll just be life soon. Just one <laughs> big VR thing. I look forward to it. Shall I get on with it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's chat some history. Have you ever heard of Joseph Merrick? Yes, I have. He is... Is he the Mormon dude? No. Who is it? Oh, hang on, it's the Elephant Man. That's it. Is it is the Elephant Man, yes. <laughs> so me and uh, my boyfriend went to see the Elephant Man, David Lynch's Elephant Man, at the BFI on Tuesday. I was going to do someone else, and then I saw that, and I was like, i got to do it. Has to be. So, here, do you know much about him? Or not really? I know bits about him, Have you seen him, the yeah. film? Uh, no, I haven't seen the film. I think I've read quite a lot of Wikipedia-esque things. Okay, cool. Well, maybe I can fill in some gaps. Cool, cool. Okay, so Joseph Carey, or maybe Carey, Carey Merrick, was born on the 5th of August, 1862, in Leicester. His parents were Joseph Rockley Merrick and Mary Jane Potterton. Well, that's her maiden name. His father was the son of a London-born weaver and... Mm -hmm. His mother was a was the daughter of an agricultural labourer. She, the mother, was said to have some form of physical disability, but I don't know what that might have entailed. I don't think it was severe. Okay. And she 
worked as a domestic servant when she was young before she got married. And that's where she met um, Joseph, the father, who was a warehouseman. And they got married in 1861. So, a year after they were married, Joseph was born apparently healthy. He had no outward anatomical signs or symptoms of any disorder for the first few years of his life. He was named after his father, as you could probably tell, and he was given the middle name Carey by his mother, a Baptist, after the preacher William Carey. The Merricks had two more children, even though his mother's grave states three, but there was some weird, like, historical mix-up where they gave her an extra child. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, only, only two more. The two other children were William Arthur, who was born in 1866, but he died of scarlet fever four years later. And Marion Eliza, who was born in 1867, she was born with physical disabilities herself, and she just died of seizures when she was 23. Oh, man. So there's something in that line, then, that was uh, yeah, maybe. Not, quite, not quite compatible there. <laughs> yeah, potentially. <laughs> so William, the son, is buried with his mother, aunts and uncles in Leicester, whereas Marion is buried with the father in a different cemetery in Leicester. So, according to a 1930 article in the Illustrated Leicester Chronicle, Joseph began to develop swellings on his lips at the age of 21 months, followed by a bony lump on his forehead and the loosening and roughing of his skin. As he grew, a noticeable difference in the size of his left and right arms appeared and both his feet became slightly enlarged. The Merrick family explained his symptoms as a result of Mary's being knocked over by a frightened fairground elephant when she was pregnant. So this kind of like... (laughs) I know, this is what happens in the film as well, the David Lynch film. And in the 19th century in Britain, this was like a thing. It was called maternal impression. So when like emotional things happen to women when they were pregnant, it could affect the baby. But obviously this is BS. (laughs) Obviously it can hurt the baby if you get knocked over by an elephant, like in a physical way, but it it can't like make them this, like literally... Did she actually get knocked over by a frightened elephant? Who knows? That I I don't know. That's quite a story. True or not. It comes from um like the that's the story the family told, so And apparently Merrick himself, Joseph held this belief for the rest of his life. So um in addition to the deformities, at some point during his childhood, Merrick suffered a fall and damaged his left hip, which probably didn't help with like the ensuing things that were happening to him's body. The injury became infected and left him permanently unable to walk properly. Although affected by his physical deformities, Merrick attended school and enjoyed a close relationship with his mother. She was actually a Sunday school teacher and his father worked as an engine driver at a cotton factory as well as running a small haberdashery business. Ah. Hat action. So... In 1873, May 1873, in fact, only three years after the death of William, Joseph's mother Mary died from, like, a a form of pneumonia. Oh, no. It's bronchopneumonia, which I assume is a form of pneumonia. Joseph moved in with... um, Sorry. So the dad, uh, who's also called Joseph... (laughs) And his two children moved in with a woman called Mrs. Emma Wood Anthill, 
who was also a widow and had children of her own, and they got married in 1874. So, like, literally six months after them. Oh, jeez. But this is the 1800s, like, you need to be married, because that's just, like, a thing that everybody is. (laughs) So, um, Joseph left school at age 13, which was usual for the time. His home life was pretty miserable. His father and stepmother were pretty horrible to him. And he ran away like two or three times, but was brought back by his father each time. At 13, he found work at a rolling cigars factory. But after three years, his deformity in his right hand had worsened and he could no longer roll the cigars. So he was unemployed. He began wandering the streets looking for work and avoiding his stepmother. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he was becoming more of like a financial burden on the family and eventually his father got him some work he got him a hawker's license which enabled him to sell things from like door to door Okay. from his father's haberdashery business however his facial deformities rendered his speech increasingly unintelligible and prospective customers reacted with horror to his physical appearance. And if you haven't seen a picture of um, Joseph Merrick, this would probably be the time to Google one. If you Google Joseph Merrick or if you Google the elephant man, there are actual pictures of the actual man, which look very similar to the to John Hurt's portrayal. So yeah, have a look and then it will give you more of a picture of you know what I'm talking about. Gotta love that early photography. Yeah, it's really early photography. So, I mean, we're lucky we have photographs, really. Um, so Merrick basically failed to make enough money as a hawker to support himself. Returning home one day in 1877, he was severely beaten by his father, and he left home and never went back. Jeez. He was now homeless on the streets of Leicester. So his uncle, a barber named Charles, heard his nephew's situation and sought him out and offered him accommodation in his home. Thank you, Charles. Merrick continued to hawk around Leicester for the next two years, but his efforts to make a living were just not successful at all. So eventually, his defigurement drew such negative attention from members of the public that the commissioners for Hackney Carriages withdrew his licence when it came up for renewal. So he could no longer even hawk, not that he was very good at it anyway. He was scaring the children. Yeah. Um, Charles actually had young children to provide for and could no longer support his nephew. So in late December 1879, now 17 years old, Merrick entered the Leicester Union workhouse. God, he's still really young. Yeah, he's still really young. So he's one of 1,180 residents in the workhouse, which is a lot. He was given classification to determine his place of accommodation. He was actually deemed, like, able-bodied, males and females. Okay. Which is, like, crazy. <laughs> some harsh judgments in the 1800s. Yeah. On the 22nd of March, 1880, only two weeks up, 12 weeks after entering, he signed himself out of the workhouse and spent two days looking for different work, but with no more success, he found himself back in the workhouse, and he stayed for four years. Around 1882, Merrick actually went under sur- underwent surgery on his face, which I didn't know at all uh, that mm. he actually had any surgery. The protrusion from his mouth had grown to twin- around 20 centimetres and severely inhibited his speech and made him difficult to eat. He was operated on in the workhouse infirmary under the direction of a man named Dr. Clement Frederick Bryan. 
and had a large part of the mass removed. Oof. Okay, so most people know, if they know anything about Joseph Merrick, they know that he spent some of his time as a curiosity or like a... Mm. The bad term for it would be circus freak. So let's talk about that. So Merrick concluded his only escape from the workhouse might be through the world of human novelty exhibitions. He knew of a Leicester musical comedian named Sam Tor, and he wrote to him and Tor came to visit him at the workhouse. Tor decided he could make money exhibiting Merrick, but to retain Merrick's novelty, it would have to be like a travelling exhibit, because once everybody in Leicester has seen him, then... Yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> only so much like bearded lady you can see or whatever. Um, so to this end, he organised a group of managers for Merrick. A guy called Jay Ellis, a guy called George Hitchcock, and a fair owner called Sam Roper. On the 3rd of August, 1884, Merrick departed the workhouse to start his new career. I mean, it's not really a career, yeah. but okay. <laughs> The showman named Merrick the Elephant Man and advertised him as a half-man and half-elephant. They showed him around the East Midlands, including Leicester and Nottingham, before moving on to London for the winter season. Wait, so his uh, name and like the, uh, the excuse his parents used for uh, his condition, is that yeah. just a co- that's just a coincidence. Well, I guess he like, started to look a bit like his skin was quite elephanty. Yeah. So they were like, oh, yeah, you got knocked over by an elephant, didn't you? And she's like, <laughs> yeah, maybe I did. <laughs> like a superhero. The DNA of the elephant has transferred into your baby. Yeah, like... Um, like Spider-Man. But... Like in the Catwoman, like the original yeah. one with Michelle Pfeiffer, and she like gets attacked by cats. So George Hitchcock, one of his managers, contacted an acquaintance showman called Tom Norman, who ran a penny guff shop in East End of London, exhibiting human curiosities. Without a meeting, Norman actually agreed to take Merrick's management over in November. Hitchcock travelled with Merrick to London. When Tom Norman first saw Merrick, he was dismayed by the extent of his deformities, fearing his appearance would be too horrific to be a successful novelty. Nevertheless, he exhibited Merrick in the back of an empty shop in Whitechapel Road. Merrick had an iron bed with a curtain drawn around him to afford him some privacy. Norman observed Merrick asleep one morning and learnt that he always slept sitting up with his legs drawn up and his head resting on his knees. So basically... If he had slept lying down, he would, like, break his neck. Norman decorated the shop with posters that had been created by Hitchcock depicting the monstrous half-man, half-elephant. A pamphlet titled The Autobiography of Joseph Carrie Merrick was created, outlining Merrick's life to date. We don't know if the biography was actually written by Merrick, but it provided generally accurate account of his life. So that's good. Norman gathered an audience by standing outside the shop and drawing a crowd with his like showman's chit chat, like roll up, roll up, <laughs> come and see the half man, half elephant. He would then lead his onlookers into the shop, explain the elephant man was not here to frighten you, but to enlighten you. Enlighten? <laughs> drawing aside the curtain, he allowed the onlookers, often visibly horrified, oh, to God. observe Merrick up close while describing the circumstances leading to their present condition, including his brother's alleged accident with an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> you never guess what happened. <laughs> so I'm a East End accent. 
I think it's pretty good, actually. The Elephant Man exhibit was moderately successful and made money primarily for the sales of the autobiographical pamphlet. Merrick was able to put up his share of the profits aside, hoping to earn enough money to buy a home. The shop on Whitechapel Road was directly across the road from the London Hospital, which is an excellent location because medical students could visit, curious to see Merrick. One visitor was a young surgeon named Reginald Tuckett. Like his colleagues, Tuckett was intrigued by the Elephant Man's deformities and told his senior colleague, Frederick Trevers. Now, if you've seen the Elephant Man movie, you'll know that Trevers is the main character apart from the Elephant Man, and he is played by Anthony Hopkins. So, um, Trevers first met Merrick that November and at a private viewing before Norman opened the shop for a day. Trevis later recalled in his reminiscences that Merrick was the most distinguishing specimen of humanity I have ever seen. At no time had I met with such a degraded or perverted vision of human being as this lone figure displayed. Degraded or perverted? High praise. Mm. Um, the viewing lasted no more than 15 minutes, after which Trevis returned to work. Later that day, he sent Tuckett back to the shop and asked if Merrick might be willing to come to the hospital for an examination. Norman and Merrick both agreed. To enable him to travel a short distance without undue attention, Merrick wore a costume consisting of an oversized black coat and a brown cap with a hessian sack um, covering his face and a robe and rode in a cab hired by Travis. Um, he just and put if, a bag on his head. If you were interested in seeing said bag, I'm not even joking, it's in the London Museum, like the London Hospital Museum. <laughs> so it's closed at the moment, but when it's opened, I'm definitely going to go and see that Because <laughs> I am that weird. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at the hospital, Travis examined Merrick, observing he was shy, confident, yeah, and not a little frightened. At this point, Travis assumed the elephant man was an imbecile, which is not a very nice word. But mm-hmm. He measured Merrick's head, um, which had a large size of 36 inches, which is about 91 centimeters. Like, Ooh. that's massive. That's nearly a meter yeah. around his head. <laughs> his right wrist was 30 centimeters. Again, that's like the length of a ruler. And one of his fingers on his right hand was 13 centimeters. In circumference. So, Yikes. yeah. He noted that the skin was covered with like warty growths, the largest of which exuded a really unpleasant smell. Oh, no. Like the tissue as well, like the subcranious tissue appeared to be weakened and causing a loosening of the skin, some of, some of which hung away from the body. Oh. I hope I should probably put a warning on this episode that's like this contains descriptions of nasty stuff. There were bone deformities in the right arm, both legs, and most conspicuously the large skull. Despite his the corrective surgery to his mouth in eighteen eighty two, Merrick's speech remained barely intelligible. His left arm and hand were not large or deformed, and his private areas were all normal as well. Apart from his deformities and the lameness in his hip, Travis concluded that Merrick appeared to be in generally good health. Apart from all that just, stuff yeah, I just described. The skin falling away, just <laughs> apart from the fact randomly. he's literally falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> I think like what he meant was like his insides are like good. 
Okay, so Norman later recalled that Merrick went to the hospital for examination or two or three times, and during one of their meetings, Travis gave Merrick his calling card, which is important to the story. On one of his visits, Travis had photographs taken. These are the ones, like, you can see on the internet. And he provided Merrick with a set of copies, which were later added to his autobiographical pamphlet. On the 2nd of December, Travis presented Merrick at meeting of the Pathological Society of London in Bloomsbury, which is like a whole load of white men <laughs> who are doctors sitting around going, ooh, ah, it's kind of like an episode of Naked Attraction, but like, <laughs> really like the opposite version. of that kind of... <laughs> Eventually, Merrick told Norman he no longer wanted to be examined at the hospital. According to Norman, he was stripped naked and felt like an animal at a ca- in a cattle market. If you want to do this, you pay for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, during this time in Victorian Britain, tastes were changing in regard to freak show exhibitions like The Elephant Man. Shows like Norman's were a cause of public concern, both on the grounds of decency and due to the disruption caused by crowds gathering outside them. Not long after Merrick's examination, last examination with Frederick Travis, the police closed down Norman's shop on Whitechapel Road and Merrick's Leicester managers withdrew him from Norman's care. In 1885, Merrick went on the road with Sam Roper's travelling fair. He befriended two performers called Roper's Midgets, <laughs> who were called Betram R- Dooley and Harry Bramley, who on occasion defended Merrick from public harassment. Good guys i just want to point out here that in the movie i would have loved to have seen some of that like changing tastes in terms of victorian britain because that's not really apparent at all in the movie Mm. it's very much geared towards everybody wants to see him yeah and i would have loved to see more like ideas that maybe they were changing tastes but alas societal evolution so because of this dampening of public enthusiasm in britain um they all scratched their heads and thought, ha-ha, let's take him to Europe. Um, so Merrick's management was assumed by an unnamed man, possibly called Mr. Ferrari. <laughs> Not even a joke. And they left for the continent. Um, he was not more successful there than in Britain, unfortunately. And similar action was taken by the authorities to move him out of the jurisdictions. In Brussels, Merrick was deserted by his new manager who stole Merrick's £50 savings, which is the equivalent to about £5,400 today. Abandoned, Merrick made his way to, to a train in Ostend. He attempted to board, but he was refused passage. Then he travelled to Antwerp and was able to board a ship bound for Harwich in Essex. From there, he travelled on his own by train to London and arrived at Liverpool Street Station. What a guy. Uh, Merrick arrived at Liverpool Street on the 24th of June, 1886, safely back in his own country, but with nowhere to go. He was not eligible to enter a workhouse in London for more than one night. Basically, he would need to go back to Leicester to do that because that was his permanent residence. Which is like 98 miles from oh, London. Even though he'd been living in London for so long before. Yeah, but that's just stupid rules, I guess. <laughs> so he tried to approach strangers to help, but his speech was unintelligible and obviously his appearance didn't help. 
He drew a crowd of curious onlookers until a policeman helped him into an empty waiting room where he huddled in a corner exhausted. Unable to make himself understood, his only identifying possession was Frederick Trevis's card. So the police okay. contacted Trevis, who went to the station, recognised him and took him in a handsome cab to London Hospital. Merrick was admitted for bronchitis, washed, fed and put to bed in a small isolation room in the hospital's attic. So, with Merrick admitted to the hospital, Trevis now had time to conduct a more thorough examination. He discovered that Merrick's physical condition had deteriorated over the previous two years and they had become quite crippled by his deformities. Trevis also suspected Merrick now suffered from a heart condition and had only a few years left to live. Merrick's general health improved over the next five months under the care of hospital staff. Although some nurses were initially upset by his appearance, they overcame it and started caring for him. Yay, nurses. Hashtag pay rise for nurses. (laughs) The problem of his unpleasant odour was mitigated through frequent bathing and Trevor's gradually developed an understanding of Merrick's speech. A new set of photographs were also taken. The question of Merrick's long-term care had to be addressed. Francis Cargom, the chairman of the hospital committee, had supported Trevis in his decision to admit Merrick, but by November, long-time plans needed to be made. So the London hospital wasn't staffed or equipped to provide care for the incurable. It was like different hospitals for like curable and incurable, and obviously Merrick is oh, okay. yes. an incurable case. So... Cargom, who's the, like, chairman, he um, contacted other institutions and hospitals more suited for caring for chronic cases, but no one would accept Merrick. Gom wrote a letter to the Times, printed on the 4th of December, this is 1886 still, outlining Merrick's case and asking readers for suggestions. The public response in letters and donations was incredibly significant, and the situation was even covered by the British Medical Journal which some of you will know is, like, the big one. With the financial backing of many donors, Gom was able to make a convincing case to the committee to keep Merrick in the hospital. It was decided that he would be allowed to stay there for the remainder of his life. He was moved from the attic to two rooms in the basement adjacent to a small courtyard. The rooms were adapted and furnished to suit Merrick with specifically constructed bed and, at Trevis's instruction, no mirrors. I just want to point out that in the movie, there's a part where the Queen Victoria sends a letter to like advocate for Merrick. And I had a look on the National Archives website in Discovery and I couldn't see anything, but that might just be that they don't have it. It it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, or I they maybe... Always stick, they always stick that on films though, don't they? A letter yeah. from Queen Victoria. <laughs> they, love, they love a letter from <laughs> She did like writing letters though. So she did, not... yeah. Yeah, she, she did write a... Or it might be that I hadn't searched the right terms, but I'm just saying I I couldn't find it. If somebody can, please link me it. Okay, so Merrick settled into his new life at London Hospital. Trevor visited him daily and spent a couple of hours with him every Sunday. Now that Merrick had found someone who understood his speech, he was delighted to carry on long conversations with the doctor. Trevor and Merrick built up a friendly relationship, although Merrick never completely confided in him. Um... Like, Trevis actually had the impression that his mother, whose picture Merrick always carried with him, mm. had abandoned him as a baby, which wasn't true. So Merrick never okay. told him yeah. that she died. 
Merrick was also reluctant to talk about his exhibition days, although he expressed gratitude to his former managers, apparently. Mm-hmm. It did not take Travis long to realise that, contrary to his initial impressions, Merrick was actually not intellectually impaired. So he was actually, like, not an imbecile like he thought he was. <laughs> Travis observed that Merrick was very sensitive and showed his emotions easily. In fact, Merrick was sometimes bored and lonely and demonstrated signs of depression. He had spent his entire adult life segregated from women, first in the workhouse and then as the exhibit. The women he met were often disgusted or frightened by his appearance. His opinions about women were derived from his memories of his mother and what he read in books. So Travis decided that Merrick would be like would like to be introduced to a woman and would help him feel normal. The daughter arranged for a friend called Mrs. Leela Maturin. Maturin, a young and pretty widow, to visit Merrick. She agreed, and with a fair warning about his appearance, she went to his rooms for an introduction. The meeting was short as Merrick quickly became overcome with emotion. He later told Travis that that the that Leela had been the first woman to ever smile at him and the first to shake his hand. She kept in contact with him and a letter written by Merrick to her, thanking her for the gift of a book and a brace of grouse, is the only surviving letter written by Merrick. So he could write them? Yeah, because his one arm, his left, I think it was the left arm, was was normal. So yeah, he could, I guess okay. he could write, but it might have been a bit, like, tricky. Um, but there's something else that he was a hobby, so we'll get to that. Um... So, he got a new sense of confidence from this one short meeting of this woman. He met other women during his life at the hospital and appeared taken with them all. (laughs) Travis believed that Merrick's hope was to go and live in an institution for the blind where he might meet a woman who could not see his deformities, which I think is so good. (laughs) Merrick wanted to know about the real world and questioned Travis on a number of topics. One day, he expressed a desire to see what he considered a real house, and Travis obliged, taking him to his home in Wimpole Street and meeting his wife. At the hospital, Merrick filled his days with reading and constructing models of buildings out of card. He entertained visits from Travis and his house surgeons. He rose each day in the afternoon and would leave his rooms to walk in the small adjacent courtyard after dark. And um, he made this construction of like a cathedral, which again is no, is in the film. And that cathedral is in the museum, the London Hospital Museum. Oh man, okay, I want to check that out. Yeah, so you can go see that too. Um, as a result of um, the chairman's letters to the Times, Merrick's case attracted notice of London's high society. One person who was took a keen interest was actress Madge Kendall. Although she probably never met American person, she was responsible for raising funds and public sympathy for Merrick. She sent him a photograph of herself and employed a basket weaver to go to his rooms to teach him basket weaving. That's going to be difficult though, right? Only like <laughs> essentially one hand. Yeah, I guess probably wasn't like the best hobby. <laughs> um... Also, like, um, other ladies and gentlemen would visit him in his room, bring him gifts of photographs and books. He actually became confident enough to converse with people who passed his windows. 
A young man called Charles Taylor, the son of the engineer responsible for modifying Merrick's room, spent time with him, sometimes playing the violin. Occasionally, Merrick grew bold enough to leave his small living quarters and would explore the hospital, though when he was discovered, he was always hurried back to his quarters by the nurses who thought he might frighten the patients. On the 21st of May 1887, two new buildings were completed at the hospital and the Prince and Princess of Wales came to open them officially. Princess Alexandra wished to meet the Elephant Man, so after the tour of the hospital, the royal party went to his rooms for an introduction. The princess shook Merrick's hand and sat with him, an experience that left him overjoyed. She gave him a signed photograph of herself, which became a prized possession, and she sent him a Christmas card each year. On at least one occasion, Merrick was able to fulfil a long-held desire to visit the theatre. Travis, with the help of Madge Kendall, arranged for him to attend the Christmas pantomime at the Theatre Royal in Drury Lane. Travis sat with some nurses concealed in Lady Burdett Quartz's private box. According to Travis, Merrick was awed and enthralled. The spectacle left him speechless so that if he were spoken to, he took no heed. For weeks following the show, Merrick talked about the pantomime, reliving the story as if it had been real. So, I think we know what's coming up. <laughs> and that is his last years. So, as we said, like his heart was failing. So, on three occasions, Merrick left the hospital and London to go on holiday and spent a few weeks at a time in the countryside, which I had no idea about. Through elaborate arrangements that allowed Merrick to board a train unseen and have an entire carriage to himself, he travelled to Northamptonshire to stay at Forsley Hall, the estate of Lady Knightley. He stayed at the gamekeeper's cottage and spent the days walking in the estate's woods collecting wildflowers. He befriended a young farm labourer who later recalled Merrick as an interesting and well-educated man. Trevor's called this the one supreme holiday of Merrick's life, although in fact there were more than one. That was like three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Merrick's condition gradually deteriorated during his four years at London Hospital. He required a de- great deal of care from the nursing staff and spent much of his time in bed or sitting in his quarters with diminishing energy. His facial deformities continued to grow and his head became even more enlarged he died on the 11th of April, 19, oh, sorry, 1890, at the age of 27. Oh, man. So yeah. young. So young. At around 3pm, Travis's house surgeon visited Merrick and found him lying dead across his bed. His body was formally identified by his uncle, Charles Merrick. An inquest was held on the 27th of April by Wynne Erwin Baxter, who had become like noted for conducting inquests for the Whitechapel murders, 1888, aka. So Merrick's death was ruled accidental, and the certified cause of death was asphyxia caused by the weight of his head as he lay down. Trevis, who performed the autopsy, said Merrick had died of a dislocated neck. Knowing that Merrick oh, no. had always slept sitting up out of necessity, Travis concluded that Merrick must have made an experiment attempting to sleep lying down, like other people did. Um, I mean, it could be that obviously he maybe did it on purpose. Yeah. Like, the film implies... No, it doesn't imply. The film is is put on purpose in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could have been an accident. Yeah. He might have just, like... 
Maybe he just like fainted and then. Or maybe he was like, "I'm gonna try it," and then obviously it didn't go well. <laughs> That's horrible. Um. So Travis, um, actually, um, dissected Merrick's body and took plaster casts of his head and limbs. He took skin samples which were later later actually lost during the Second World War, but he mounted his skeleton, which remains in the pathology collection at the Royal London Hospital. Uh, which amalgamated with St. Bar- Bart's, um, the medical college, and Queen Mary. Um, so if you are a medical student, um, you can actually go and see his skeleton. It's not on public display, but you can see it if you're there. And my cousin's actually a medical student at, at, at Queen Mary, so I'm going to oh, tell really? her. Yeah. Send her um, down there. I'm going to tell her to go and see it and take a picture <laughs> for me. Um so there's a small museum dedicated to his life, housing some of his personal effects, and a new replica of a skeleton is on display. Not the real one, but a replica. And that's what I was talking about with the London Hospital Museum. His remains in a, are in a, in a glass case in a private room at the university. And like I said, they can be re- like viewed by students and medical professionals by appointment. That was like Trevor's kind of to allow medical students to understand physical deformities. Although Queen Mary intends to keep his skeleton at its medical school, there are some contending that as a devout Christian, Merrick should have been given a proper Christian burial. But on the 5th of May 2019, an author called J. Vigor Mongravin discovered that Merrick's soft tissue was actually buried at the City of London Cemetery. So oh, okay, a so he did, yeah. bit of him was some, yeah. <laughs> buried. In 1923... Frederick Travis published a volume, The Elephant Man and Other Reminiscences, in which he detailed what he knew of Merrick's life and their personal interactions. This account is the source of much much of what we know about Merrick, but there are some inaccuracies that have been corrected. In 1980, the film The Elephant Man, directed by David Lynch, was released. It received eight Academy Award nominations. Merrick was played by John Hurt, and Frederick Travis was played by Anthony Hopkins. And the fact that they didn't win any of those um, Academy Awards is absolute travesty. Though it did win Best Film at the BAFTAs and Best Actor for John Hurt. Uh, some acting heavyweights there. Yes, it was absolutely fantastic, eh? And that's the story of Joseph Merrick. Wow. Man, such a harsh life. I guess he did make those, uh, those high-flying friends, though. In yeah, his, I mean, uh, he got like, yeah. In the in the film, there's um, those of you who have seen it might be wondering about. There was a character who was a guy that worked at the hospital, who kind of like made money off of showing him to his friends, mm. and I couldn't find anything about this guy. So I think that's probably artistic license on the part yeah. of David Lynch, because you kind of needed an antagonist at that point mm. of the film and yeah he was na- that was like the worst scene in the film I was like I cannot watch this but yeah it was an amazing film and an amazing story of a real guy obviously yeah. and yeah if you want to go and see his stuff once the London Hospital Museum is open you can go and see the bag put over his head and his models and I think some of his like replica skeleton as well so it just got worse and worse and started, I guess, kind of uh, started moving internally as well. Because if, uh, if his organs were okay at first and then... Yeah, know, I guess, like, kind of... 
I guess you can't move around as much, so I guess your cardio. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and then like, yeah, I guess maybe he he had like um, you know, like, growth. So I guess maybe they pressed in so on him yeah. or something. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna look a bit about like his condition, but I wanted it to be about him and not his condition. Yeah. So yeah, you can go and if you want to go and look up, you know. What condition did the ele- elephant man have, or whatever? So, what are you having for dinner? I haven't talked about that in a while. I'm gonna have leftover fish pasta, seafood pasta, like I made yesterday. Nice. I'm gonna microwave it. Oh, sounds... <laughs> <laughs> sounds intense. <laughs> How about you? I'm going to have fake fish, actually. I'm going to have a corn scampi, which is actually so nice. And yeah. some croquettes and some beans. Oh, I love croquettes. Mm. I, I had ages. a salad for lunch, Dan. A salad. Did Me. you? I had a salad for lunch. I did that the other day, actually. I was very surprised by that because like, salad isn't real food. And also, like, it took me a long... It was like the biggest salad I've ever eaten. It was, it was <laughs> humongous. So I was pretty pleased with myself. It's never gonna what happen. What was again. in it though? We're talking about like exciting salads and we have like olives in it. It had um it was like leaves with pepper and cucumber and tomato and then I put some mozzarella on it. Okay then. Mozzarella. That makes it. Yeah, that's that's the key. <laughs> um so while you're here, you could subscribe to us right here where you're listening to this. Hit subscribe, and if you're also there why don't you just leave us a nice little five-star review? It would really help us with the algorithm. <laughs> and you can follow us on social media on uh, Instagram and Twitter at HaveYouEverPod. And tell all of your friends. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>